Hi gang, welcome back to another episode of Grit and Glitter. My name is Harley. My name's Ben. It's us, your friends. Yeah, we're back together. If you've been with us from the beginning, this is like the 171st, well not 171st time, we've both missed a couple episodes, but this is episode 171, that's pretty cool. I mean, is episode 171 that we have put our names somewhere involved in, that, that the grit and glitter name holds out, 171, wow, slowly approaching 200 episodes. That's that's crazy. We're going to hit 200 episodes in like a couple of months. That's nuts. Is this episode going to be as good as episode 71 was? I don't know. It's so hard to say. What was episode 71? Off the top of your head, what was 71? That was us talking about the impact pay-per-view. Hard to live? Live to kill. <laughs> live, to... Hard to, hard to live, live or be killed. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's see. For the for those curious, it was January 12th, 2021. Not that long ago. Well, yeah, almost a few years ago. January 12th, 2021. What was happening in the world of grid and glitter as I scroll and I scroll and I scroll through my notes? Okay, as you scroll, I will I will propose that when grid and glitter starts our inevitable wrestling promotion, our very first show is going to be called Hard to Live. Oh, it's so hard to live sometimes. Let's watch some wrestling. It's so hard to live. Episode 71 featured a spotlight on Tokyo promotion, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling. Us and correspondent Emily Pratt covering Tokyo Joshi Pro 21, their first show of the year, 2021. That was 100 episodes ago? That was 100 episodes ago. Man, back in back in the old days. Man, 2021 did not happen in my brain. It just evaporated. 2020, absolutely. Who could forget 2020? Oh my, what a what a year. Uh, 2022, sure, lots of interesting stuff. But what, but what happened in 2021? Nothing. It's just it's a missing year, missing link. Yeah, we all just sat inside and watched a lot of Netflix and. That uh, Joe Exotic Tiger King thing? That was 2021. Yeah. I thought that was like, the heart, wasn't that 2020? See? See? 20, nope. Cannot prove that 2021 actually happened. All that we know is that it's hard to live. So this is Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. We do a new episode every Tuesday. Sometimes we interview people. Sometimes we do like full biographical histories of legends of wrestling. Sometimes we talk about that week's shows like AW pay-per-views or Impact pay-per-views, things like that. Sometimes we'll just go a little wacky and do different stuff. I don't know. We got a, we got a routine here. But also, every December... We host year-end awards that we have called the Glitter Bombs. That's right. We've done this three times, and now it's December, and we're doing it a fourth time. We are honoring 
every year, the Glitter Bombs honor wrestlers, uh, women wrestlers, and wrestlers of marginalized genders in categories ranging from favorite wrestler to favorite tag team to best debut or signing to this year's featured uh, 10th category, our kind of like bonus category that we like to throw in every year. This year, you get to vote on best blood. That's right. The best example of women or marginalized gender wrestlers in a death match or hardcore or just, you know, out and out, showing that color in the ring. You have a chance to tell us who you who you vote for. We don't give you a list of nominations. We don't tell you how to feel about a certain set of nominees. No, instead, we ask you for your selections. You tell us anywhere between like three to five people, three to five uh, specific matches, whatever the category is. You give us as many of your favorites as you want in those within the maximum count. And then we tally up your votes. And at the end of the year, towards the end of the year, we announce who you picked to be your winners in these categories. It's really fun. And because of the type of show that we are and the type of listeners that you are, we end up getting to award a lot of people mentions that, you know, don't make it onto other year-end lists. That's the thing. I, I love voting in year-end awards, whether it's like music or I don't watch too many movies, like new movies to really do that. But uh, I've been going on Twitter. I've been seeing other podcasts, other websites putting out their year-end awards. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll vote. And I go over and it's like the category is best baby face. And it's four WWE wrestlers and then one from AEW. And I'm like, okay, well, none of none of these are my pick for like the best female baby face this year. None of these are my match of the year. I don't want to have to choose. Like, how? None of these. No. Ah, never an issue with us. With us, we just say, hey, here are some blank fields, and insert whatever you want. And if it's wrong, I'll do the research and I'll delete that information. If I'm like, actually, that match happened last October of 2021. A year that did not exist, so clearly this cannot be match of the year. Yeah, you just get to vote for whoever you want, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. And this year, I think for the first time ever, the winners are getting like a physical award. Yes, they are. That's breaking news. Awesome. We haven't mentioned that online yet. Yeah, they they are. I literally placed the order this past Friday. Um, the uh, the awards should be coming in the mail this week. We may even be able to hand out a few in person. Who knows? Um, yeah, so it, we're excited to award people a physical object to commemorate this. You know, the Glitter Bombs, are they as big a, an award as, say, you know, making the prestigious PWI Tag Team 100? No. But like we mentioned already, like, because of our listenership and the focus of our podcast, we get to really talk about and shout out some people who don't make it onto other lists. And that means something in the grand scale because that means that you guys are getting to make that conversation happen for these wrestlers. Word of mouth is really important in independent wrestling, especially um, social media presence gets you so far, but also you need people to like hear these names. Um, the buzz about a wrestler starts with someone you know, shouting at that wrestler on a podcast or on, or on a stream or anywhere. So this does do a lot for people's careers in the long run. And, you know, we want to help. Like, we know that you care about these people, and we want to give them an opportunity to shine even further. I hate voting in year-end lists. I, I'll be completely transparent. I have a terrible memory these days. I don't keep track of things that I watch. And I hardly ever, you know, jot down notes or, or ratings or, like, uh, I may try and make mental notes, but I rarely ever keep actual written notes anymore. So when I have to make my choices in this poll, I end up having to go with a lot of gut instincts. I second guess myself a lot, 
but that's okay because also even if the matches and the wrestlers etc that i pick aren't like actually the established best out there i know that they meant something important to me and this poll gives me a chance to, to share my opinion on that and just shout out my favorites for whatever it's worth so i hope you do the same i know it can be intimidating to have a blank ballot like this but please take a few minutes don't feel pressured to fill every spot. You know, if there's a category you really don't have strong feelings about, you don't have to, you don't have to cast a vote in that category. Just fill it out. Do, do right by your favorite people out there in wrestling and help us, you know, share and shine that light on them come uh, the end of December. The web address is me.cc slash glitterbombs. Tiny.cc slash glitterbombs. Voting was supposed to close tomorrow night at midnight but just because we are so excited about getting as many votes as we can and really solidifying a clear-cut winner no screwy finishes here we've decided uh, to extend it friday at midnight eastern standard time that's your new deadline so if you still haven't decided yet you got two more days thursday friday figure it out cast your votes best blood best baby face outstanding performer in a non-wrestling role, all those categories. Let your favorites get get these fancy awards that we are spending our hard-earned money on. That's right. Speaking of, the PWI Take Team 100. That came out this week. It is the third annual PWI Take Team list. They did 50-50, and now they're doing 100 this year. They bumped it up. They doubled it, in, as a matter of fact. I mean, Take Team Wrestling is, is hot. Um, most of the wrestling promotions out there, the major wrestling promotions have tag team divisions that are worth noting, even when they undercut them to whatever degree they do. Um, so yeah, this is, this is a good year to expand to 100. I feel like, especially on the independents, we're seeing so many big, so many tag teams get like established relevancy among, among the independents that it's even, you know, places like AEW Dark and Elevation, those shows are giving these independent tag teams even more credibility as established pairs. So, yeah, this was a good year to, to expand 100. Is IWTV adding take titles soon? I thought I read something like that. I thought I did too, but I don't know. I'm it would definitely looking... seem to be the time to do that, right? IWTV tournament to crown the first ever tag champions was September 9th, 2022. The first ever IWTV Independent Wrestling Tag Team Champions will be crowned in a tournament that will begin this month and culminate at the second annual Restival in Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay, so this was back... Oh, okay. First round of tournament matches will be hosted by IWTV Partner Promotions with the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals taking place on, you guessed it, December 30th and 31st as part of Restival Weekend. There you go. We're just weeks away. We are weeks away. Exciting. And yeah, the exciting thing about the PWI Tate team list is that it's not segregated by gender. So this year they came up with a list of the 100, you know, kayfabe most successful Tate teams of the last year. And you've got all male teams, you've got all female teams, you've got mixed gender teams, you've got non-binary representation. All, and you've even got like some trios and stables, arguably, on the list, in addition to your traditional two-on-two pairs. It's a, it's kind of a mix of a bunch of different people. 
And as we've seen from the PWI, especially with the men's 500 and the women's 150 the past couple of years, is they've been making a real concerted effort to expand beyond America. There are a lot of people, a lot of teams on this list from Japan, from England, from other other smaller countries that we, that you and I never talk about. <laughs> oh, just to follow up on our uh, on the IWTV tag team tournament, the quarterfinals and semifinals are taking place at Restable Weekend, and those teams are Miracle Generation to Infinity and Beyond, Shook Crew, The Kirks, C4, Culture Inc. Violence is Forever, and MSP. So, those are the tag teams to watch, and probably many of them uh, were on this list this year. A couple of those teams are eligible for Glitter Bombs, if you so desired. Yeah, so this year's PWI Tape Team 100. I don't have 50 different statistics like I did with the women's list, because it's only been around for three years. The teams ranked on the list this year 79 of them were two men teaming together, two cis men teaming together doing their thing. 21 of the other teams were either all women or were mixed gender teams or some sort of uh, different pairing, which is always really cool. That's like one five, which is pretty good considering a lot of promotions don't have women's take titles. AEW doesn't. Impact does. They use them spare. Like they, they appear regular on TV, but they're not on every pay-per-view or anything. NXT, same thing. Like, they are not on the big shows usually. They defend it on weekly TV. So, as a result, the highest ranked women's team on the list this year was Stardom's team of Hazuki and Koguma. They were, le- they were ranked at number five, which hard to argue with because basically this is PWI saying that the, the Goddess of Stardom take titles over in Stardom are the most prestigious women's take titles in all of wrestling. I can't think of any that I would put higher. Yeah, that's pretty legit. I, I'm not... I'm, I'm straining to think of anything that would even come close because it's just, it's an actual tag division. Like, it's a real tag division with real stakes. They are tag teams that are solidified through both um, repeated pairings but also through the stables that they're a part of the factions that they're part of. So, um, in that way, their tag division has even more credibility. They're... Um, yeah, there's there's just there's nothing quite as standardized and as solidified as the tag divisions in in a, in a lot of Japanese promotions, but especially in Stardom. And the Stardom Take Titles frequently will main event shows. Maybe not the biggest you know uh, biggest shows around, but smaller shows they're they're treated like as a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they have a they have a tag tournament. Like if if you have a tag tournament the tag teams beat something yeah round robin tournament to crown number one contenders in addition to stardom also having trios titles as well yeah yeah and a bunch of other titles as well like but no the the tag division is the the tag belts are treated with prestige this ranked american women's tag team was allison k and marty bell the hex they were actually the only other female team to make it into the top 10 and this is really interesting because I mean, they're so high, I think, twofold. One, they were the NWA Women's Take Champions for almost an entire year. And then at the same time, they're also the Shine Take Team Champions. So they're doing double duty in... Shine doesn't have this huge of a stature as some promotions. And NWA has really 
voluntarily shoved themselves over a cliff a couple of times the past year. But regardless, like they're a really high profile team. When I was putting together my Glitter Bombs ballot, and I'm trying to think like, who are my favorite Tate teams in women's wrestling? The heck's always one of the first ones that comes to mind. And they're always, last couple of years, they've always been in my top two or three. Yeah, 100%. They are definitely, they're, they're the tag team that most consistently shows up and dominates whenever they are involved in any kind of like, you know, whether it's a, it's a promotion pay-per-view or if it's like a guest appearance on a, in a promotion or if it's a tag team tournament or a tag team match. Like, if you see the Hex there, chances are they're there for a reason. Which, you know, makes it promising because it almost seems that, like, anywhere you see them, you can continually see them. That's that's a nice, that's, that's, that's good. Because in, in so much tag wrestling, especially in the independence and especially with women's wrestling, tag teams can feel like, they're here today, gone tomorrow, that they are a temporary, that they're a temporary uh, fixture while, you know, we, we wait for a single push for another wrestler. There is a, that's often what happens in the big promotion, but the hex are solidified. So, I mean, they've even held like pro wrestling Eve championships. So like they're, they're legit. Number 14 is Toxic Attraction, specifically the duo of Gigi Dolan and JC Jane, because they held the NXT women's titles for a good portion of the year. And number 19 were Naomi and Sasha Banks, because they held the WWE women's tag titles for a large portion of the year. Yeah, I mean, you would, it makes sense. I mean, but like you would think that like just the sheer global power of WWE would vault the the tag title to mean something more than number 19 on this list, but no, like not like no. And also based on what happened with Naomi and Sasha and that whole story this year, like that did not do anything for the prestige of those titles. No, but it's interesting that they still managed to make it onto Naomi and Sasha still managed to make it on the list at number 19. I don't remember exactly when the, the voting, like the criteria window closes for the take team 100. But they walked out of WWE fairly early in the summer, I think, and haven't wrestled since. So it's interesting that they still managed to make it at number 19, whereas not one team from Impact made it onto the 100 list. And they have take titles. Yeah, that is weird, especially since it was the inspiration for for most, you know, for like a third of the year. Yeah, so... Cassie and Jesse held the titles for about 100 days, but then they retired. So I guess that's a factor because maybe the, of that 100, I don't know how many of how much of that 100 days was within this window as opposed to last year's window. And then Death Dolls, Taya, Valkyrie, and Rosemary and Jessica Havoc, they've held it. They had two reigns this year. They're currently the champs, but that's only a total of four, four months with combining those two reigns. So I would have thought that would have earned them like a spot down in the, you know, at the very least in the 70s or the 80s over some independent teams. But for whatever reason, no, nobody from Impact made it on the list. Yeah, super fair to me. At 37, we have the highest ranked team outside of Japan and America. That's the CMLL Tag Team Champions, Las Chicas Indonables, who is Hiroshita and Yuvia. This is what I'm saying. I am never read any of those names in my life we i mean our blind spot is cmll 
We, we, I have a couple of blind spots. I will be fully straightforward with that, but Mexico especially, yeah, I don't. We need a Mexican correspondent on our show. Yeah, we really do. Hey, hey, if you're listening out there and your specialty happens to be CMLL and, and other like you know actual like lucha promotions, um, and you want to talk to us about it, uh, get in touch like soon, please. We would love to hear from you and talk to you because this is a we've been cognizant of this blind spot since we started this podcast. And it's been one of those things where it's like, we need to get on that and never really have. So uh, come here, educate us, show us the light. We're, we're ready. 2023, the year of Lucha. Yeah. Now, American independent wrestling, we're pretty good. We, I think I feel like we're confident in our knowledge of people wrestling in the American independent scene. So we are well familiar with number 39, Borsi. Effie and Ali Hatch, they're the highest ranked independent team. Uh, on the on our not on all of independent wrestling, but the, the highest ranked team to include a woman, which is an independent team, they're, like they're not affiliated with the NWA or the WWE or CMLL, and they are our highest ranked mixed gender team. No other team of man and woman ranks higher than Bussy. I mean, it it works to have a high profile in the Indies. It really does. Then down at 59, we've got Veni and Makoto, La Fresa de Egoistas. They are interesting because we have, so we've had this PWI take team list for three years now. They're the only team to rank last year and this year of the women, mixed gender, uh, marginalized gender teams that we're talking about here. None of the other teams that we've mentioned ranked last year. Naomi and Sasha weren't on the list last year. The Hex weren't on the list last year. Toxic Attraction weren't. And actually, in the three years of this list now, the only other team to rank twice is C-Stars. Ashley and Delmi ranked in 2020 and 21 before not ranking this year. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty sure that C-Stars is on indefinite hiatus, correct? So, I mean, that could be Aveni and Makoto's chance to like really just run run the gamut next year. Yeah, if they stick to if they stick with it for like another thirteen years, they can be the Natalia of the PWI taking list. Ah, the dream. After them at number fifty nine, we've got we've got a lot of Japanese teams on this list. Uh, there's like multiple teams from Stardom. We've got some TJPW representation. We've got Gato Move on the list. Some Seedling. In terms of American independent teams, they're only five more teams that fit our criteria of what who we talk about on this show we've got all female teams like pretty empowered the renegade twins and bougie reality and then we've got a couple of mixed gender teams in kings of the district and yellfielders i mean i'll be completely and utterly transparent about this uh kings of the district are my favorite tag team working uh anywhere right now well uh, specifically on the independence but you know one of my absolute favorite tag teams. And uh, I was also really glad to see the Renegade Twins on this year's uh, tag list. And that's 73, too, because I think if you've been following them at all, they have been killing it. And uh, they had some really great, uh, had some really great uh, appearances on things like AEW's, you know, or, uh, both on Dark, but also in their, like, actual, I think it was on Dynamite. I'm pretty sure it was a Dynamite match. Um, but they're killing it, and it was really cool to see their profile get hired because I think these women are incredibly talented 
and I'm looking forward to seeing them blow up even further in 2023. Yeah, tape team wrestling, always always a tricky thing. I look back at the Glitter Bombs results from two years ago, three years ago, and it's like a lot of these teams aren't together anymore, especially in the big companies. They, they'll, you know, they form, they form a team, they chase the titles for a couple of months, they win the titles, they hold them for a couple of months, they drop the titles, and then they turn on each other and they feud. And we see this men's wrestling, women's wrestling, everywhere. I mean, the the inaugural winners of the Glitter Bomb for Favorite Take Team was Oscar and Kyrie Sane. They're not teaming together anymore. <laughs> the C second year was Sea Stars, who Ashley Vox just came back from injury, but I don't know if there are any plans for her and Dummy to team together, or if they're doing like solo things for the foreseeable future. That's just how Tate Team Wrestling goes because Tate Team Wrestling has so much of a ceiling in so many promotions. You're not going to main event if you're a Tate Team. You're not going to get the biggest paydays or whatever. You're better off trying to get that singles world title. Yeah, I mean, that's true. For the vast majority of promotions, being in a tag is temporary because it's not where the it's not where the highest profile is and it's not where the money is. Is true of the vast majority of promotions. It's a shame. But there are promotions who are working against that um, for their, at least their men's division, at least, in many of, like, in AEW and certainly in Japan. But, like, you know, I'd love to see. I, I still hold out hope for a women's tag division in AEW. I really do think that that's something that, that I could, like, do wonders for their booking. But they would have to dedicate a little bit more time for it. And they would have to solidify some tag teams long enough to actually, like, fill it out for a little while. So I just don't see it happening. But I do think a tag division is an expert way of developing stories for every division in your in your company. That's why factions are is such a tested and tried and true method because you know within a faction you get your single stars, you get your tag teams, you get your stories, you get your rivalries, etc. Um, tag wrestling is so expert at creating so much impact in like a single match that uh, it would be great to see that for the women's divisions. We had a lot of tag matches this past Saturday at ROH Final Battle 2022. No women's tag team wrestling, but we did get two women's matches on the card officially. On the pre-show, sorry, on the zero hour. Zero hour, please. There's no time. It's a zero hour. Yeah, we don't, this is before time actually begins. This is the, the, the pre-time, pre-time time. Like how in War Games matches the fight for like 25 minutes but it's not until the last person enters that they ring the bell and they're like the match has begun it's like shit they've just been beating the hell out of each other for 20 minutes wasn't yes. even part of the match exactly, exactly. <laughs> on zero hour it was the babe with the power willow nightingale taking on the afro punk trisha dora we've seen this match before in a couple of different promotions but i never get sick of it i never get sick of it i also never get sick of the pop that Willow gets every time she makes any any appearance. You know, Trish got, Trish got a, a decent, uh, you know, recognition when she came in, but like it was nothing compared to what Willow gets when she marches out there. Like the crowd just eats her up, and they are so in for Willow. So it's it's a lot of fun to see that. This was another. This was like, you know, it was twice the length of a dark match, but it could have been on AEW Dark. In a sense, it was one of these ones where it's like, oh, it's a signed wrestler versus somebody well-respected from the indies. I wonder who's going to win. 
they went six minutes so like i said that's like two to three times longer than if this match happened on dark if it happened on dark it'd be 90 seconds long yeah i mean to be fair uh trisha dora uh she was starting to get storylines within roh before roh you know ostensibly shut down and went on extended hiatus um so there was a part of me that wondered if maybe they would give her the win to create a story for roh you know for the promotion um to follow along with in continuation because yeah willow is signed to AEW, but like aw and rh and that whole like you know bleeding over like i don't know where she's gonna do her time so uh it, it made me wonder actually like who was gonna who's gonna get to win this match they went with the more obvious of the two picks but i thought i think it would have been more interesting if Trish had won this match yeah we've still got we'll talk about it a little bit um, after we talk about the matches but the big question mark remains okay like where does the line where's the line between aw and ROH. Entering 2023, will there be wrestlers who are just ROH wrestlers and they don't wrestle all that often on Dynamite or Rampage? Or are people still going to be doing double duty on both shows? I would think Tony Khan has hinted that there's going to be more of a clear split and some of the title changes that occurred in the men's matches on this show would lead you to believe that as well. Like, oh, Jericho lost the title so that he can go back to the AEW universe and stay away from the ROH universe. But then you got like ROH champions who are currently in AEW stables. So, like, that doesn't really make sense for Claudio or Garcia. Lots of question marks there. Does Willow picking up the win on the ROH Zero Hour show indicate that they have plans for her to be a featured player in the ROH women's division going forward? Is Trisha's involvement here when she's not signed to AEW a sign that she might get scooped up by ROH in the future when we can finally get a payoff to her possibly joining Shane Taylor promotions. Yep. No, no clue. And it's, it's really hard to predict any kind of predictions right now based on what we know ROH is going to be doing in the foreseeable future. I wouldn't be surprised if we see either of these women in ROH in 2023. And especially I think Willow would be a great challenger for our new champion, the fallen goddess Athena. So uh, going into this match, we have had a turn for Athena. Athena has uh, has gone heel um, after a kind of awkward stint uh, in her introduction in AEW. There was a some some awkward and some kind of you know scattered storytelling between her and Jade Cargill that was stopped and started partially because of Chris Statlander's involvement in the storyline and Chris Statlander's subsequent injury. Um, when the storyline did conclude, Jade, Gar- uh, Jade Cargill, you know, stays, remains TBS Women's Champion, and Athena was left in kind of an awkward position of having been a prominent signee without much of a focus beyond that single few that, like, again, stopped and started throughout a period of several months. Um, the heel turn was smart, and I it was so smart to me that it caught me off guard that she came in as the crowd's favorite. Yeah, the crowd, the crowd was chanting <laughs> for her points. I'm like, is this because Mercedes hasn't been around in months and months, which is through no fault of her own. She was injured from August straight through to November, is it just people cheering Athena because they liked her in NXT? 
I mean, like, the video package did most of the heavy lifting for the build to this match. I, I didn't see any of Athena's work on Dark recently. I don't watch Dark, sorry. So the video package was like, showed me everything that she's been do doing in this new heel version. And it's like, well, she beat up Aubrey Edwards. Like, if you're not going to boo her after that, what, what, does she, what do you want from her? That that was the only part of this booking that kind of doesn't end up making sense. And honestly, you can't necessarily predict that. Like, she had a heel turn. Um, they did everything right when it came to, like, solidifying that. But if the audience is going to cheer, the audience is going to cheer. Like, you can't necessarily stop them. Um, but they might have been able to better predict that because she's going up against a competitor who, while has beloved veteran status, has not been seen in the ring in months. And is also like someone who is not quite the like mainstream figure that Athena was at one point. So, yeah, I don't know. That was a little confusing when they came to this booking. The match itself was fantastic. Really, really great. God, I love this match, actually. This was a really good match. But that part of it kind of held me back because there was this confusion of like, wait, like I'm not. We're, we're not supposed to be rooting for Athena here. Like, Athena was coming into this as the bad guy, and that's not how it felt at all. It felt like Mercedes was still in heel mode, which she hasn't been since, since weeks after her introduction into AEW. Yeah, and AEW does the thing where, like, they just love finding people in the crowd showing genuine emotion even if it undercuts their own story. So Athena is the heel who's like, used, you know, hiding behind the ref and stuff here to, to like, she didn't steal the win. She won pretty clean. But then we get like the shot of like her parents, like cheerfully watching from the crowd. And then we get a shot of like another woman in the crowd who's like, like happily like applauding for Athena. And it's like, but why, why, are, you, why are you showing this? <laughs> so Athena comes out and the reaction is, huge and engaged into it and then mercedes the champion comes out and it was like it was like crickets like there was minimal noise from the crowd minimal not even comparison just literally like minimal like crowd reaction when mercedes made her entrance is that because she's been gone for so long well okay so i looked this up because they had the the commentators really talking about like Mercedes on a 12 match winning streak in AEW and I'm like okay L quick two cage match <laughs> Mercedes <laughs> won the ROH title she beat Deanna Perrazzo on Dynamite May 4th so uh, seven months ago yeah just over seven months after that she teamed with Serena Deeb on Rampage twice in June and July Yes, I remember that. Then she beat Serena at Death Before Dishonor in July. Yes, I remember this. And now she's back. Yeah. So that's it. Like, since winning the title, I'm not including the dark matches in there, because who watches dark other than people in the arena? Not many people. So since she won the title, she had that little three-match stint with Serena, where she started... Where Mercedes was the babyface, but she was teaming with the heel Serena Deeb. She teamed with Heel Deeb twice. Then Deeb turned on her. They had one match at the ROH pay-per-view. And that's it. That's been the extent of her seven-month championship reign. And sure, she was injured during a part of that. But she was also not injured during 
a long part of that, and that's all they, that we got. So she's not coming into this as the red hot, white hot baby face. She doesn't have a lot of character work behind her. It's not clear like why we're on her side, really. You know, Athena's heel turn beating up Jody threat on Dark is supposed to be doing the heavy lifting here. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean they they showed that shot of her hitting Aubrey like three times with that video package really wanting to sell like from multiple different angles like really wanting to tell you like look she's so bad she hit Aubrey Edwards but like I, there was a halfway point at some point during this match against Mar- Martinez um Mercedes couldn't do anything but like embrace the heel persona that she plays so well so at some point like she just I think she just kind of leaned into it because the crowd was behind Athena to win despite the fact that Athena was supposed to be the heel here so when Martinez it's like a like a suplex on the floor. She got booed, even though this should have been a a big moment, like a big like a big applaud moment, a big like cheering moment. She was booed. The video package I liked because it showed clips of them uh, having matches in Shimmer back in the day, and it talked about how back then Athena was sort of like the young rookie, but now like she's been around the block. But one thing they didn't mention as far as I remember during the video package is again I go to cage match and I look this up to see what their history is 2011-2012 they had three matches in shimmer one was a double count out one had Athena win via disqualification one had Athena winning via pinfall then 2017 in NXT they had a singles match Athena won then 2021 in NXT, that a take match, Athena team with Shotzi to defeat Mercedes and Aaliyah. So here's a story that you could tell going into this match. They faced each other five times. Athena has won every single time. That's, I, I don't know. I'm like, that's a, wow. If I had known that going into this match, that'd be interesting. That's a good story to tell. They faced that each other also- five times in two different promotions and Mercedes can't beat her. Yeah, that also would have been a useful thing if you really wanted to sell this as Martinez being the face. Because that's like a, a mountain to climb, right? That every time they face, Athena has won. So, like, why not make it a story? You don't have to, like, mention things by name, but they didn't even, they didn't say that. So the storytelling is super muddled because they had everything they could have used, everything they could have used to, to book Mercedes as the face in this match, they didn't. And she didn't have enough momentum going into this match to carry that, to carry her as a baby face. And at a certain point, Mercedes Martinez just does what Mercedes Martinez does best, which is just deliver an ass kicking, which isn't going to make her seem like a hero as much as it will make her seem like a badass. It's not going to make her seem like a, like a good guy hero. So, of course, like, we end this match with Athena being celebrated as the new champion. And it's unclear what kind of champion she's going to be. I want to say, I didn't watch it, but I want to say she appeared at the post-show press conference and spoke a bit in character about, like, how she's going to be, she's like, like, she's a bully and she is going to be the top heel going forward, which is why I think a long-term feud between her and Willow now would be great because nobody's more beloved than Willow. And I think if letting Athena really be mean and, like, vicious to her would really help establish her even more so as that heel yeah if, I mean, if you're really going to if you need someone to deliver pure babyface energy you can't get much better than willow nightingale and clearly the crowd needs that because they're going to cheer for athena 
otherwise. Okay, now we skipped over a major talking point coming out of this match, and I really wish we had former correspondent Valerie Quartz here. Athena's new look. She's got a jacket that has like a light-up panel on the back. On her entrance, it, it was flashing and new. She has like glitter up her neck, which is meant to, and her side of her head, which is meant to look like blood. And she has a googly eye from like the kindergarten craft bin glued to her forehead. And she wore it the entire match. Um, I, I love the glitter paint. I love that. I thought it looked really cool. Um, I think the panels on the jacket, I have the same problem with the panels on the jacket as I had with the wings. There's something so clumsy about it. Um, it, it's a cool idea, but the execution to me looks a little rushed, a little just heavy. Is that the word I'm looking for? I feel like I'm looking like heavy. Like it doesn't feel organic or meshed in. It doesn't feel like, I don't know. It feels, feels clunky, but I like the idea. Um, I guess she looks really cool except for the googly eye. I'm going to preface this by saying I love Athena. I'm a huge fan, and I really want her to succeed. I think she's a great wrestler. But I know criticism some people had of her in WWE was that she always came across like she was just like cosplaying. Like she never felt... She never felt authentic. She always felt like somebody who was just dressing up as this this character. And I think didn't didn't they have her like talking with like jive slang when she first showed up in AEW two? And people were like, "What is this? This is not her. She's just like a she's like a dorky nerdy girl who likes to play video games. That's who she is." And the more they try to like make her look like this, the more it's just yeah, the googly eye. I'm like, I had I had a friend who worked as a prosthetic makeup artist for the movies, and he did the first X Men movie. He did a couple um, Gil Garcia Bernal movies, and one time for a live show that we were doing, it was like a Halloween themed show. He did uh, like a fake scar on the forehead of me and my teammates where it looked like somebody had like carved a crescent moon into her forehead. It took him like 20 minutes before the show. He prepped some stuff at home, but 20 minutes before the show, he put it on, he applied it with whatever. And we like were blown away. We're like, oh my God, this looks so good. You look in the mirror, it looks like somebody has literally like, like it looks like my forehead is bleeding. It looks like somebody has carved into my skull with this thing. I find it hard to believe that Tony Khan couldn't find somebody to do something like that for Athena, where it looks like she literally has a third eye on her forehead instead of buying a googly eye from the dollar store and just like sticking it on with skin glue. It's so dumb. Like I would have preferred a eyeball sticker. I would have preferred like I, I would have taken the second cheapest option, but a googly eye. Like, are you the one eyed one horn flying purple people eater? Like it's dumb. It looked dumb. I'm sorry. It looked dumb. It looked stupid. It took me out of it. Like, I didn't understand it. I didn't I didn't get it. I wanted to embrace it for being stupid. But it wasn't even, like, cool stupid. It wasn't even, like, this is really fun, funny moment stupid. Like, we're just having a good, fun, stupid time. Like, it wasn't even like that because 
She's wearing this googly eye into a championship match where she is supposed to be the bad one. And you have a fucking googly eye on your forehead. Like, it didn't... I'm sorry. It made me me upset in a weird way because I didn't... I, I was already getting, like, this disconnect between the crowd reaction and what I was told to expect from the story. I like Athena. I really respect her work. I, I always feel like there's something about her gear that doesn't quite mesh, but then she comes out here with a look that could totally work if it weren't for the fact that she couldn't just get, like, some decent prosthetic makeup. If she wanted to do that effect, it would be really cool. What the fuck was the point of that googly eye? Of course it was going to fall off. Of course it's going to fall off in the middle of the match. Of course we're not going to see it at the end. We shouldn't see it to begin with. You already have glitter blood. Why the eye? Yeah, like Tony, hire like a hire like a special effects makeup artist. You know, have them on call for the, the for the big shows. It doesn't have to be every single week, but for the big shows, I'm sure like they could do something really cool where it looks like she actually has like a third eye in her forehead if that's the the look that they want to go for. You know, House of Black would love having a prosthetic makeup guy working backstage. They'd have a million ideas for him, I'm sure. Or how about just don't do that. How about maybe, like, the third eye concept is cool, but it doesn't have to be literal. Like, it's not literal. It's not a literal fucking thing. It's a conceptual idea. It's metaphysical. It's not a literal eye. Yeah, just just have her come out to Semi-Charmed Life, and we'll get it. We'll be like, oh, third eye. Ah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can Mm -hmm. afford a... Fog hat and who who else are they licensing now? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know Papa Masi's record collection. Fog hat. <laughs> if they if they can afford to have Chucky e. T come out to CCR, they can afford uh, some third eye blind. Um. It, yeah. No. It's it's real, real silly. I again. I I love stupid. I love silly. There's nothing I, lo- I love more than something silly and stupid wrestling because wrestling should have that element to everything. I I often think that you know when wrestling is is at its is at its most serious is when it needs something like this. But the problem was that it just it wasn't the right moment. It wasn't the right story. It wasn't the right eye. It wasn't the right metaphor. Like none of it. None of it made any goddamn sense. And my biggest issue is seeing that googly eye stuck to her forehead. I'm like, okay, so we're going to see this googly eye for about five minutes, and then it's not going to be on her forehead anymore. It's going to be one of those stupid things that was like, why did she start the... No one's going to remember. Like, if you look at clip package, no one's going to look at that and be like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be the third eye, and blah, blah, blah. They're going to be like, why did she have a googly eye on her forehead at the beginning of this match? It should have been like a space monkey situation where Mercedes, like, poked the eye, and she's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, no. It, that, okay, so that's also the problem. Is, is if you're going to do something stupid like this, you have to embrace the stupid and run with it all the way down the hill. It's it, it's like if you have to do like a stupid like corporate exercise, like a flash mob or something like that. Like, say you have some weird new agey boss, and they're like, "Okay, we're going to do this gag. We're going to do this at the holiday party. You're all going to be the flash mob. I want you all to 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 the to do Gundam style, etc." The worst thing to do is to do it, but do it half-assed. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it all the way. So if you're going to wear a googly on your eye on your forehead, then you're going to have your opponent poke that googly eye 
on your forehead. You are going to treat it like it's a real eye and you're going to work it into the match. You're going to get that eye gouged. Otherwise, it's stupid. It's a waste of time and it muddles up the story in a way that didn't need to happen. So Athena, new ROH women's champion. What does this mean going forward? Does this mean she won't be appearing on AEW much anymore? She'll be focusing on ROH. Does this mean Mercedes will be returning to AEW or will she remain in the ROH universe? We don't know. What we do know is that there will be a weekly ROH show in the near future. It will not be on television. It won't even be on YouTube. This one will be exclusive to Honor Club for all five of the Honor Club subscribers still out there. That's about that's about it. That's all Tony Khan said. He didn't say if it'd be an hour-long show. He didn't say if it's going to be taped like like uh, dark before. Dynamite and Rampage, or it's going to have separate tapings in smaller arenas, when it's going to start airing, what the roster is going to look like. All we know is a weekly ROH show on Honor Club. Honor Club is still $9.99 a month. You get the ROH archive, old episodes of TV, and year one, year two footage. I don't think everything is up yet. And it does not include the ability, like WWE Network did, or Peacock, to watch current ROH pay-per-views live. Something like Final Battle will be on Honor Club in about three months. For the time being, if you want to watch Mercedes versus Athena, you got to go on Bleacher Report or wherever and pay 40 bucks. Yeah, I mean, there's theories abound as to why this is happening and why, you know, after all the speculation of where ROH would be and what, what channel was going to, to host them and what that broadcast deal would look like, there's a lot of theories as to why ROH is going to continue as exclusively on Honor Club. Uh, my biggest guess, though, is it probably has something to do with AEW being tied to Warner. And then um, I before this happened, before the merger happened, was when Tony Khan had bought ROH with the intention of getting some form of distribution through a Warner network. Then Warner and Discovery merged and a lot of things changed. And I believe that what became a pretty surefire solution to ROH uh, became a much uh, less likely scenario. And that is probably why we are in the situation we're in now with ROH, which is kind of basically where we've been for the last several months. Honor Club exists. It's going to continue to exist. And now it will just have new stuff to put on it. Um, That's great for people who kept their Honor Club subscription. Yeah, and Tony said we're going to see less ROH on AEW TV going forward, but it's like, there's no way you signed Claudio Castagnoli and Samoa Joe to these like big money contracts, and they're only going to be wrestling on Honor Club going forward. We're not going to see them on Dynamite. We're not going to see them on Rampage. That's that, I find that very hard to believe. The only thing I can guess is maybe you'll see these people, but they won't be, they, we won't be defending ROH championships on AEW, because for a while there, it felt like the only championships we were seeing on Dynamite or Rampage were were ROH belts. Yeah, so Joe can lose to Wardlow, but the championship isn't involved, so it's okay. Uh, it's one way to protect everybody, I guess. It doesn't really protect the title. I, no. But <laughs> I don't know. And then it's so interesting to me that the ROH championships are helped by such veteran talent athena joe claudio the briscoes because like for 10 15 years there 
ROH was really like, oh, that our current champions are the future stars of Raw and SmackDown in like four or five years. And now it's like, oh, it's like guys who came and went through WWE and now they're back here and we're going to give Claudio and Joe one more title reign before they retire. Yeah, I. it's a weird, bizarre universe where ROH is the like, ROH is everybody who was at ROH at one point. Yeah, they're all back now for victory lap. Yeah, it's our it's our it's our rest home for former ROH champions. Very interesting. So we'll see what twenty twenty three holds for Ring of Honor. I don't foresee myself signing up for Honor Club again. I've got you know, I've already got Disney Plus and Netflix and all these other streaming services that I'm trying to cut the cords from. But I'll 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 read the results if somebody else does. I'm curious to know what Athena does and if there's a women's division for ROH next year. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I want to see this thriving women's division on ROH streaming on Honor Club. What What if irony of all ironies, the best women's division ends up being on ROH TV? Hey, three years ago, the best women's division was the NWA, so... Who knows what the future or, or the past holds. <laughs> I, and look at where we are now. Mayday has been doing an uh, amazing job keeping me informed of the shenanigans over at uh, NWA at the moment. And the promotion that formerly had one of the most formidable women's divisions, comprised of like five women, but still a formidable women's division, is currently using the wrestler Christy James as a non-talking, non-wrestling, smiling-only valet. That is our show, folks. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram or Patreon at Grit Glitter Pot. If you're not following us on Instagram, now's probably a good time. We do not post much at all really like it's kind of only when i go to a wrestling show that i post anything but i suspect that there might be a fair number of posts coming up this weekend uh yeah this weekend is going to be a big weekend for grit and glitter and for myself personally because i get to spend time in the flesh with one mr harley r patches faithful listeners this is the 171st episode of grit and glitter following 85 episodes of talking honor plus some other podcasts on the side there. M. Fear and I have never been in the same room. We've never been in the same state. This weekend, everything changes. This weekend, we prove that neither of us are catfishing the other one. She'll finally see in person, I am just that good looking. That's not Photoshop. And your spouse, even more so. So just saying, I'm very excited to see these lovely people in person, which if you are in the Pittsburgh area, and you want to see these lovely people in person, as well as many other lovely people in person, we'll be at the Enjoy Wrestling Show at Mr. Small Theater in Millvale on Saturday night. So uh, get a ticket because I believe General Edition is starting to get uh, close to a sellout. So get your tickets while the getting is good. Um, and looking forward to the show. This is the third Enjoy Odyssey 
And uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be a hell of a show with a championship match between MV Young and the veteran, the living legend, the icon. Canada's own. Canada's own. Lufisto. Yep. That's why Harley had to come down to again to represent. I'm chauffeuring her. Ah, That's the thing. Oh. Yeah. We're do- oh, I didn't know that. We're driving like two hours up to Quebec to pick her up. And then we're driving another eight hours back into Pittsburgh. No wonder you're staying at the Holiday Inn. Yeah, that's where all the that's where all the rest of stay, right? Yeah, all the you do the spiky digs. This Saturday, my beloved wife and I hit the road. We were driving down into the U.S. of A. to Pittsburgh. We're going to enjoy wrestling. I get to meet M. Fear. I get to meet some of our favorite listeners to the show. Fingers crossed, I might even get to meet M. V. Young, Ziggy. Hi, I'm the Runway. So many others. It's it's very exciting. And then, literally one week before Christmas Eve, together we get to watch Edith Surreal become number one contender to the Enjoy Championship. Yes, yes we do. The the keystone, the uh, the the heart and soul of Enjoy Wrestling. Uh, we're we're all rooting for Edith. I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to find anyone in that room who's not rooting for Edith. Maybe some people are rooting for for Calvin and Tyler. Hmm. Edith Surreal. Cough cough. Donald. 2021 Glitter Bomb winner for favorite wrestler. Maybe it'll be 2022. Who knows? 